it uh, is on your phone, iPad, some other kind of device. Uh, a non-Apple um, product is okay as well. All right, for those who have those other, other kind of devices, I'm not sure what they're all called, but, uh, or if you just have a good old-fashioned paper version of the Bible, that, that works as well. It's funny, I went to get something at, at, at uh, Bucky's or something the other day, and, and um, before I, I, I had my, my money clip out, and I was getting ready to pay, and, and the guy goes, well, is that debit or credit? And I said, well, does this cash work anymore? <laughs> you know, so Bibles with real paper work too, okay? And if you have a parchment, that would be even cooler. All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 12. We're continuing our series as we work through the book of Acts here at Grace Bible Church called Missio Dei, which is this, this Latin for the mission of God. And we'll be covering the whole chapter 12 today, verses 1 through 25. And the title of our message this morning is The Power of God. The Power of God. So let's go to the Lord the great powerful God and ask him to do what only he can. Lord, we do come to you crying out to you because we know that you are the powerful God, the only true God. And Lord, you contain all power. So Lord, we're asking you that by your power, you would work in our lives today through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to change us, to make us more like Jesus. Uh, to open our hearts and minds to know more about you and, Lord, to um, be changed. So, Lord, we ask you to do that, and we are at your mercy for that to happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you seen um, the, this commercial? It was one of the 2015 Super Bowl commercials. And some of this, those commercials are not worth watching. Some of them are. And this one's kind of played after the Super Bowl. It's lasted a long time. Um, and and it's, it's the one where the yellow lab puppy escapes from the barn where he is housed with the Clydesdales. Yes, it's a Budweiser commercial, I know. All right. You know, and, and they always have the best commercials. You just got to admit it. They're very well done. And, and I love puppies. And I love lab puppies. So what do you just say? Oh, a lab puppy. Ooh, what's all this? So this lab puppy kind of escapes the barn. He goes out into the night and gets all muddy and stuff like that. And he, and he goes, and he, they said this scene, he's up on the hill. And all of a sudden, a big wolf comes around a tree and is growling. And, and, and then you hear him barking. This little dog, he's just a little bit, he's barking. He's yipping at this big wolf. And the Clydesdale hear, the Clydesdales hear his bark. And they bust out of their stables, come to the bar, barn, and they get up there, these huge horses. And he's barking, and all of a sudden, the, 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 and the, the wolf is growling, and all of a sudden, he sees the Clydesdales, and he turns tails and runs, or wolf does. And he, I just wanted to maybe have the puppy go, oh, yeah. You know, but, uh, but, he, but all of a sudden he turns around and here's the Clydesdales behind him. How powerful are those Clydesdales? Huge, muscular horses. I don't know what they weigh, but all of them together, it's just huge. And that wolf knows he's in trouble. They have way more power than he has. And I, I'd like to think that, that um, the little dog knew that the Clydesdales would come and he barked. That he knew he had the power of the Clydesdales behind him. So he barked. He knew that they had his back. And he could take on anything with those Clydesdales. Well, I don't know if that's the case or not. But it sure showed that he had the right power on his side. And this morning as we look at the book of Acts, I want you to be reminded of the grand truth of the unlimited power of God and that he is on your side. God's got your back. And not with a little bit of power, but with all the power in the universe. And before we look here at... Um, Acts 12, uh, let me tell you something that illustrates the importance of knowing the power of God and, and, and that he is on your side. 
I want you to turn with me to, we're going to do a little Bible drill here, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and this is the way I memorize this, Tyler. It's right after 1 Kings. All right, 2 Kings. I, I can't, you had way too many letters for me there. I don't go that far, right? 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, uh, and I'm, if you find 1 Kings... You'll be okay. Second Kings chapter 6. And let me tell you what's going on here. The king of Aram is furious with the prophet Elijah because every time the Arameans went to attack Israel, he tells them, okay, here's we're going to attack them. And because Elijah the prophet, God lets Elijah in on where they're coming. So he goes to Israel and says, hey, they're coming over here. So it gives them time to flee and go someplace else. So when they show up, Israel's not there. And it happens time after time after time. And the king of Aram, he is just put out with Elijah. And he's really mad. He wants to hunt Elijah down. So that's what he does. Look there in, in chapter um, 6, 2 Kings. And we're going to read verses 11 through 17. Look what happens. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over the things. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you teach me uh, which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of, the, uh, of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, that should be clue you in right now, uh, him that he is fighting the losing battle. The God knows what he's saying in his bedroom. All right, so he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he's in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? His servant looks around. They're outnumbered. The chariots, the soldiers, they're all, they surround the city. They're in trouble. And his servant's like, oh no. Elijah, what are we going to do? Verse 16. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those are who, who are with them. And it doesn't say this, but I can just imagine, sir. Are you crazy? Would you look around you? Look at all the soldiers and the chariots. It's just me and you. We, we don't have no army. We're in trouble. Are you kidding me? Elijah, you, you, you've gone off your rocker. What's, on? What's going on? Well, look what happens. Then Elisha, verse 17, prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He opened his eyes because the servant needed to see the power of God and that God was all-powerful and they had all that they needed on their side. Truly, there was more with them than who were against them. Well, I can tell you how much I need to be reminded of the power of God and that He has my back. I need to be reminded of that every day. And I can just tell you, as um, I was preparing this week, I had, um, this, this passage spoke to me about this. It just ministered to me. Over the last 24 hours, there's a lot of stuff going on in my family and in people's families in our body. We all need to be reminded that God is powerful. And that He has our back. 
know a lot of you, a lot of, when you leave sometimes, you say, no, Pastor, that sermon was for me. It just that sermon was for me. Well, I'm telling you, this is for me this morning. I need to be reminded what I already know. That God is all-powerful, and He's on my side. And there's people hurting here this morning, I know too. They need to be reminded, you need to be reminded that God is powerful. And He's got your back. Well, let's look here at Acts 12 together. And if you get nothing else out of this, just know that He is powerful. God is the powerful God. He loves you. And He's on your side. Well, as usual, I'm going to look, work down through this passage and um, explain what's going on and allow the Lord to bring up implications and hopefully in your own heart and mine as well. Don't worry, I'll get through it. Um, and then we'll come back and I'll point out some implications that are standing out. Thanks, brother. Standing out uh, um, the most, at least to me, and uh, we trust the Lord will use it in our lives. But I want us to be reminded as we look at this passage of the purpose and the theme of the book of Acts again. We can't miss this because we miss what the purpose is. We'll miss what's going on in Acts 12. So the purpose is found in Acts 1-8 when Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven, and he tells the apostles and some others gathered there, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And we've seen, as we've studied the book of Acts, how this has worked out in these first 11 chapters. In, verses, in chapters 2 through 7, you see that the gospel goes out into Jerusalem. And then beginning uh, in chapter 8 through um, chapter 9, you have Samaria and even Ethiopia. So you have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then and we saw in the last few weeks in Acts 10 11, to the remotest parts of the earth, the Gentiles. And we see Cornelius and his family and friends and, this, and, and, and Antioch. All these people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you begin to see how this is all coming to pass. And then we come um, uh, to chapter 12. But before we look at chapter 12, just to let you know, at the beginning of chapter 13, we're going to leave Jerusalem in a sense behind. We're going to leave the Jews behind. We're going to go out into the ruinous part of the world and the focus will be on Paul. Peter is no longer mentioned after this chapter in the book of Acts. So it's going to change. It's going to shift. And, and so chapter 12 is a pivotal part in, in what's going on in Acts. And the Lord through Luke, I think he wants to remind the church at Jerusalem that he is still working and will work with them. And that he is all powerful. And he's on their side. I think that's what he wants to do here. Before, is, is they, the early Christians read the book of Acts and maybe they're living in Jerusalem. Maybe they're living in Judea. Maybe they're a Christian, a Jewish person who's come to Christ. And after that, what happened to the, to, to the Jewish Christians? What happened to, to Jerusalem? It's no longer mentioned. Well, don't worry. God's still working in Jerusalem and Judea. So know that before he moves on into the Gentiles. So look with me here at Acts 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, 
Herod the king laid hands on some who, some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat him, to mistreat them. Now, Herod, the Herod is referring to here is Herod Agrippa I, who ruled from 41 through 44 AD. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, who, what do we know about Herod the Great? Herod the Great was the one who slaughtered all the babies when Christ was born. And he killed his own son, Herod Agrippa's dad, later on ruthless man Herod the Great was. And Herod Agrippa proved to the first, proved to be ruthless as well, the Herod that's spoken of here. Uh, before he came king of the Palestinian area, which include the Judean area, uh, which we know today it's even called, some of the parts are called Palestine today, but the Palestinian area. He uh, um, was sent to Rome to, to be educated and raised in the Roman way, so he would be ready to rule just like his, the rest of his family. And he didn't get along with everybody in Rome. Um, he was kind of a playboy. He was a guy that took all his dad's money or his grandfather's money and spent it on loose living, and they didn't quite care for him. But he had some friends he went to school with. Once they came into power in Rome, they decided, well, we're going to put Herod in the Palestinian area and give him rule over that whole area, um, just like his uh, grandfather had. And he, he also proved to be ruthless um, and cruel, just like his grandfather. Well, to keep, he, he, he was Jewish by birth, but he loved Rome because Rome was in power. And Herod Agrippa I here, he loved power. So he was going to do everything he could to keep in good graces now with Rome, now that he was. So he would also do things to keep things at peace in Jerusalem and Judea and the area of Palestine. So he would make sure that he was in good cahoots with the leaders of the Jews. So he would do things to please the Jews so that there would remain peace in his land that he was ruling on. I mean, he just, whoever would feed, his, feed him, that's who he went to, right? Whether the Romans or the Jewish leaders, he did whatever everybody else wanted to do so that everybody would be happy. And that never works. And we'll see that here in his life. But he, he saw Jewish Christians as troublemakers and believed that they would upset the peace in and around Jerusalem. So he's going to do something about it. Uh, look at verse 1. Again, it said, He laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And then verse 2 it says, And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder? Whose mom asked, Hey, can they have their, the, the, the good seats on your right and left, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom? Well, this is that James. It's John, the apostle's brother, who was an apostle as well. And it says he had him put to death. If you want to stomp out a group, an uprising, where do you start? With the leaders. And James was one of the leaders. And, and he put, has him put to death. Look at verses 3 and 4 now. When he saw, listen to this, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, says a lot about Herod, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Well, killing James seemed to work pretty good. He's pleased the Jews. So what we're going to do now, we're going to continue with that plan. We're going to go after Peter, and Peter's probably more well, well, well known than James. Everybody knows Peter, right? So I'm going to go after Peter this time. He arrests Peter with the power that he has to accomplish his goals. He knew Peter was a big catch, all right? He knew that. 
And he couldn't afford to let him escape. So what does he do? It says that he had four squad, four squadrons of soldiers. Now, a squad was made up of four soldiers. So this is about as far as I go in math. Four times four is 16. All right? 16 soldiers assigned to Peter. Now, that was not normal. That was unusual. Normally, you would get four. He got 16. All right? And they, they rotated Every, um, every, every six hours, all right, they rotated who, who was going to watch Peter. And not only, a lot of times they would just station a guard outside the cell. They had two inside chained to him and two outside the cell. I mean, they did everything, he did everything, listen to this, in his power to make sure Peter wouldn't escape. Did you hear that? Herod did everything in his power to make sure Peter wouldn't escape. So when it came time, after the Passover, because you couldn't kill anybody on the, during the Passover, which is the, the, the unleavened bread feast here, that he wouldn't escape. He's doing everything under his power to make sure that so then he could kill him when it was over. Well, Peter was going to suffer the same fate as James, right? Right? Because Herod had power, right? I mean, look how much power he had. I mean, he had James killed. Then he, had, he was able to put four squads, 16 guys, on, to guard Peter chained to him outside the cell everything he possibly because he had power right he was going to make sure that Peter died too right right all right let's see look at this in verse 5 so Peter was kept in the prison but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God notice the word but but Herod used his power to put Peter in prison but the church fervently or earnestly. I think the King James, New King James says unceasingly pray. The word fervently or earnestly in the translation may say it means to stretch as far as you possibly can. To stretch. They're stretching out to God with all that they have in prayer. Calling upon God to do something in this situation with Peter. They're fervently, earnestly praying you see, the world would see and does see this action by the church as insignificant, as weak. You're going to pray? Oh yeah, what's that going to do? I mean, he's got 16 guys assigned to him. And they're never tired because they're rotating on and off. I mean, what, what in the world is prayer going to do against Herod and his soldiers and their prison? Are you kidding? What a joke. Go on, Christians, go do your prayer stuff. We'll see what happens. Okay, we'll see what happens. Herod uses power to put Peter in prison. But the church called on the power of God. The power of God. This is getting ready to be what they call no contest. There won't be a contest at all here. This is nothing. This is easy. Is this what you do when you're faced with adversity or when it seems the world is winning? Do you fervently stretch out to God in prayer and call upon His power? Do you earnestly pray? Do you call on the power of God because you know He has your back? Is this our response? Or is it our first response to try to come up with some plan of our own? and calculate all the details or maybe it's to worry or maybe it's to give up 
when it looks like the world is winning and the situation is beyond your control. Oh, may we be like these early followers of Jesus and call on the power of God to intervene. They knew the truth found in James 5.16 where James says the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Accomplishes much. I don't understand completely how this works in the sovereignty of God. I, I, don't, I do not. I've never heard the explanation that answers all my questions on how our prayer works with God's plan and His purposes. We just saw in Job, I was reading after that, that no plan or purpose can be thwarted. God has a plan, a purpose for this world and for the church, and it's going to happen no matter what. But somehow He uses our prayer to accomplish His purposes. I don't get it. I don't understand. But you know what? That's what we see recorded in Scripture over and over and over and again. You know what? I want to go with God's Word, whether I can understand it or not. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Why did James die and Peter didn't? I don't know that. I don't know. But somehow God uses prayer here to make a difference. The prayer of the people earnestly crying out to God. May our response be the same where we have all our, our, our questions answered. That's what's called faith. We trust God that as we pray, He moves. So let's see what happens as a church responds to this very difficult situation in prayer. Beginning there in verse 6, we'll read down through verse 11. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the, in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jews, Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting to be killed the next morning. And now he's gone. All the power of Herod, great Herod, all his power, all the things he had at his disposal, he couldn't keep little old Peter in his cell. The chains fell off. The prison doors open. He walked out without being noticed. And now he's out. He's free because of the power of God. No contest. The people of God call on the power of God and God showed up to accomplish his purpose in this situation. And that was get Peter out. Now look at verse 12. And when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's, a, it's, it's angel. But Peter continued knocking when they had opened the door, and they saw him and were amazed. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. There he left and went to another place. Now, some of you kind of chuckled at this, and we must chuckle at this. Think of this. Here comes Peter. He's free. He's going to go find the Christians. that are, He knows where they're meeting. He knows exactly where they are. Obviously, he met at her house often, Mary. So they, they went, and he knocks on the door, and the servant girl, Rhoda, comes, and it's, he goes, knock, knock, and she goes, who's there? And Peter goes, it's Peter. And what would you know, what would you think she'd do? Open the door. No, she goes and runs in and tells all of you praying, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, you're crazy. Peter's not at the door. Oh, I insist he's at the door. Oh, you must be seeing a ghost or something. She hadn't seen anything yet. She just heard. And she knows that it's Peter. And, and Peter's still going. <laughs> and they're having this discussion in there. And finally they go to the door. And they open it. And it's Peter. Whoa. Are you kidding me? That was your response. Wow. Isn't just this just like the people of God? We pray to God earnestly in faith. And then when he shows up, we're surprised. Why are we surprised? Why? I, 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 there's, there's, there's a part of their prayer, earnestly, that they, they're praying, I'm praying in faith for God to do this. And I'm not so sure that their lack of faith had more to do with this. See, sometimes we don't, our problem is that we don't believe that God can do it. Sometimes we don't believe that God will do it. There's, that can be a lack of faith too. And I think they believe that God could do it. And then when he did do it, they were surprised because maybe some of them didn't believe he would. Anybody ever been there? I have. I know that God, he's all powerful, right? The power of God has showed up. The power of God has showed up in our lives. And yet sometimes we pray, God, I know you can. But it's not, God, I know you will. Now there's some things we don't know, alright? But when he does something, we shouldn't be surprised. Thank you, Lord. Of course it's Peter. We've been praying all night for him. That should have been the reaction. And when God shows up in our life, you go, oh gosh, whoa. Oh, I wasn't really ready for that. No, of course he did because we were praying and somehow God uses our prayer to accomplish his purpose in our life. Well, sometimes that kind of thought that God can, but maybe he won't, it hinders our prayer. And we wonder why God, we don't see God working. We're, we're reminded, some, maybe our problem too is this, we're reminded in, Act, in James 4 too, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Or think King James says, you have not because you ask not. And often we wonder, why is God not working in my life? Why am I not seeing what God is doing around me? And maybe it has a lot more to do, not, not with God's not doing something, that we're not praying. I remember when I was working for the Fellowship Christian Athletes back in uh, um, Illinois, and I was going to Peoria and I had a speaker with me to go and, and speak in, in, in some schools and, and we were going across this bridge and I was telling them about this, this casino boat that had been parked there and um, it really had run down the whole area around it except the casino boat that's what happened in Peoria and, um, and what happened is people began to pray and um, God began to move and all of a sudden the casino boat shut down it was amazing. I was telling them that. and said, well, isn't that great? I mean, 
God wouldn't have moved that casino boat if they wouldn't have prayed. And I thought, for a second, let me see. So God is at our mercy. No. I said, how about this? Think about this. I think God would have made, uh, um, moved that casino boat regardless. Because some people were praying and he used their prayers. Here's what happened. Some people didn't pray and they missed on and seeing the power of God. That's what happened. And often we don't pray. We don't see God working. But he's at work, isn't he? You bet he is. So let's get on board, right? We have not because we ask not. Also, maybe some of the problem is in James 4.3. He goes on and says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Do we ask in faith for his glory and not our glory? What's the motive of our prayers? Is it for what we get out of it? Is it for what he gets out of it? And uh, believe me, when he gets something out of it, we get, the, we get the ripple effect. We're blessed by it. When he's glorified, it's good. And it's good for us. What's the motive of our prayers? To make much of him or us. When we pray, are expressing that we are helpless unless he moves. Because that's what happens when we pray. When we pray, we're saying, God, nothing can happen unless you move. You see, prayerlessness is arrogance. It's pride. God, I really don't need you. I've got this handled. I've got the plan. And just step back and watch me go. But when we pray, we're saying, God, you're in control. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Nothing can happen unless you move. And then when he moves, we go, yes, of course. God moved. Because he's the powerful God of all the universe. And he's got our back. I, I need to know that. I need to know that. And be reminded of that over and over again. If we want to see God's power manifested in our lives individually and in this church, then we must pray. We must pray. We, 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 and I love our church. I love what the Bible has to say about the sovereignty of God. I love all that. I love all that because he's a great, amazing God. But sometimes we can get bogged down in the sovereignty of God and it can stunt our growth and stunt what God wants to do in our lives because we're so concerned about how to try to figure out everything about the sovereignty of God. And I'm guilty of that too. All right? We just need to step back for a while and just say, God, you're sovereign. I get it. But you tell me to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to watch you move. And I don't care to understand all that goes along, what you're doing, except I want to see you move. We've got to pray. Just like when we, we trust in Christ, right? We understand that, that God is sovereign over salvation, but he says we must repent and believe. I don't, again, I don't understand how that works out. There's not enough points in any kind of diagram that can make me say, oh yeah, I got it all. I, know, I believe it's true. But he says we've got to repent. We've got to believe. We got to pray. Well, back in the 1800s, there was five guys, young college students, who were spending a Sunday in London. And if you were a college student who knew the Lord and lived in London or were visiting London in the 1800s, you would want to go see one Charles Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I promise you would have. You would definitely want to go see Charles Spurgeon and hear him preach and maybe get a chance to meet him in the Metropolitan Tabernacle on Sunday. So on a Sunday, so that's what they did. So they go in and, and they're waiting for the doors to open and uh, the, the students are greeted by a man and the man says, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? Uh, they were not particularly interested for it was a hot day in July. Who would want to see a heating plant? But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened and the guide whispered, here's our heating plant. 
Surprise, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. Here's my question for us. What does a heating plant at Grace Bible Church look like? Are we praying? Is that the heating plant of Grace Bible Church? I hope it is. And if not, then I want to challenge all of us. Let's become the heating plant that God's called us to be. Because God's going to use our church, He wants us to pray. Earnestly and fervently stretching out to Him. Calling upon Him to do what only He can do. In our lives individually, in our life as a church, to fulfill the mission of God. Which is to get the gospel to the world. And we're going to miss out. I'm not going to say it's not. It's going to happen. God's going to fulfill His mission. No, no purpose of His can be thwarted. No, nothing can be stopped. But I don't want us to miss out on it. I want us to be right in the center of it. And the way that happens is if we pray and pray and pray and pray, and the heating plant. If, if I was going to come in and say somebody come in the front door, say you want to see the heating plant of our church, I could point to every one of you individually and collectively and say, here's the heating plant of our church. This is what makes us go. Calling out to God. The power of God. Well, look with me in verse 18. We'll go down through verse 19. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. As to what could have happened, become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him uh, um, and had not found him, he examined this like he didn't trust him. You've you got to be kidding me. I mean, I had 16 of you. Four of you were there. Two chained. Two outside. D doors locked. You, wh what do you mean you can't find him? I'm going to go check it out. He can't find him either. He examined the guards and ordered that they be led away in execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. I love this. So they're there and lost what happened to him. Herod ex goes and examines the place himself. Then he asks him a question. Tell me again what happened. They said, well, we just woke up. He was gone. I mean, it's obvious that this could only be explained by God. But listen, here's what happens. Herod ignores the power of God. He refuses to acknowledge that God has showed up. He refuses that. It can only, how else would it be explained? He's gone. Well, Herod did not get to use his power to kill Peter. So he ruthlessly takes it out and ruthlessly takes it out on the soldiers and kills them, using his power once again for evil. Then he goes on a trip to Caesarea. Now look at verse twenty. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. And you're thinking, well that's kind of over, over the top. Who would believe that? Well, you know, this is actually recorded in Josephus who is a Jewish historian who didn't love Jesus. Jew Josephus records this same event. Go look it up. It's in history. But not only does Herod refuse to acknowledge the power of God, he accepts the praises of people as if he had the power of God. And that's a problem. 
to accept the praises of people as if he were God. Then God shows up and shows him and everyone else that he alone is all-powerful. There's only one powerful one, and that's the God Almighty. Notice what Luke does in, in uh, um, verse 24. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. In other words, Herod's power is shown to be nothing. But, the, but God's mission of getting the gospel to the world just keeps on going. Who's most powerful? God or Herod? Well, that's easy. It was no contest. And then that's what Luke's trying to show here. Look, but the word of the Lord, hey, Herod, he, get, he did everything he could to keep Peter in. He did everything he could to make himself powerful. And when it was all said and done, he was nothing. He was nothing but dust compared to God. And God's plan kept on going. Herod's plan stopped right there. Then he further emphasizes this in verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had full, fulfilled their missions, their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Barnabas and Saul returned to, uh, to Antioch from Jerusalem after fulfilling their mission of taking famine relief to the believers in Jerusalem. As we saw last week, this, these new believers in Antioch did what new believers do. They understood the grace of God, that God had given their son. What else could they do but give and help believers who were suffering in Jerusalem? So he said, okay, take, we, we're going we're to gather all the stuff we got. Take it to the believers in Jerusalem. Help them out. So here we, we have that Paul and Barnabas go. They take the, the relief to Jerusalem. And now they're coming back to Antioch. And you know what happens from here on out? The church is no longer based in Jerusalem. It's based in Antioch. And the gospel goes out to the world from Antioch. What happened to Herod's plan? It's done. What happened to God's plan? It keeps going. It keeps going. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And that's what happens beginning in chapter 13. It just takes off. It explodes all over the world, the gospel. Because God's plan cannot be thwarted. Why? Because he is the powerful one. Do you see the power of God on display in this passage? You can't miss it. It's all over the place. Well, so what? I said I was going to bring some implications, hopefully back to us, and encourage us with some key things that were in this passage. First, I want, to, I, want, I want to give you five things I want you to know. And in reality, you probably already know them. But I need to know them. And I need to embrace them as truth myself. First of all, know the power of God is unlimited. It's unlimited power. We don't know anything about unlimited power. All power we know is limited. But the power of God is unlimited. Secondly, know the power of God is on your side. He's got your back. No matter what you're walking through right now, the unlimited power of God is on your side. Don't miss this. All the things that we think are big problems are no problems to God. That's good news. It's great news. And I'm not only going to need that truth today, but I'm going to need it tomorrow and next week and the next month and the rest of my life. The unlimited power of God is on my side and it's on your side too. Thirdly, know the power of God is available through prayer. Again, I don't understand how all that works out. And I've studied it a lot and there's still got questions, but I'm just going to leave my questions aside right now. Say, God, all I know is your word says to pray. It says in Colossians to be devoted to prayer. To pray earnestly. God, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to watch you go to work. I'm going to see your power on display as I pray. So know that the power of God is available through prayer. 
Fourthly, know the power of God will accomplish his purposes in your life and in the world. And the purpose of the church is to get the gospel to people all over the world who speak all kinds of languages we can't even imagine. To get the gospel to them. It will be accomplished. But he wants to use you and me to help accomplish that. What a privilege. So let's be about that business and that purpose of God. And fifthly, know the power of God can change you. Can change you. I, I know in a room with this many people in it, even if there's a room just to have this many people, I know this. That people come in this room and they're hurting. Maybe they're hurting because of sin in their own life. Or maybe someone sinned against them. Maybe they're just hurting because it's just part of life and we live in a fallen world. And they're struggling with something. And maybe that someone is you this morning. Or maybe a lot of someones this morning. And you want to be changed. Well know this. The power of God can change you. It's unlimited. So whatever that problem, that burden, that pain, that confusion is, know that the power of God can change you. And He wants to change you. Cry out to Him to make change in you. Some of that change for some of us in this room needs to be this. You've never come to a place in your, in your life where you've turned from trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God and turned to Jesus who paid the penalty for your sin. You've never done that. And my prayer is you do that this morning. You turn from your self-trust and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, who will forgive your sin and make you right with God. And for all of us, we need change. We need to be made more like Jesus. So examine your heart, cry out to God, say, God, you're the God of unlimited power. Would you use that power on me? And trust that he will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your power. And Lord, that your power is on our side for your glory and our good. So Lord, I pray that you would show up in a big way in all of our lives. Lord, I pray we would... Uh, take this exhortation from your word seriously and we would cry out to you to move and Lord you would be gracious to allow us to see you at work in our lives in the lives of our church in the lives of people around us in the, lives of our, in the life of our world Lord give us hope in the midst of pain give us encouragement in the midst of our sin that you are all-powerful and you want to show up and you will show up. We pray this in the name of Jesus.